Welcome to Collars Krill's On The Sofa podcast. Hi, I'm Christian Hay, Managing Partner and Head of Disputes at Collis Krill in Guernsey. And today I'm joined by Matt Gilligan uh, from Safri Champness in Guernsey and also Chris Recker from the London office of Dwayne Morris LLP. And we're going to be talking about crypto assets in private wealth structures. So cryptocurrencies, crypto assets, despite some lingering scepticism about their long-term future are already becoming less alternative. Digital assets are now owned by some of the world's wealthiest individuals and families. And while the jury's still out on, in some jurisdictions at least, on the legal status and tax status of these assets, holding those assets through corporate vehicles, trust structures is obviously going to be an attractive choice for high net worth individuals. So let's talk about that. What are the challenges? What can go wrong? Um, What can trustees do to avoid the pitfalls, protect the beneficiaries, and importantly, protect themselves? Now, Matt, you're an associate director at Safri Champness, one of the largest independent fiduciaries in Guernsey. Can you tell us a bit about Um, Safri's attitude to holding crypto assets. How have you got comfortable with it as a trustee? Thanks, Christian. Um, I suppose I'll start from the beginning, really, of of how we decided as a firm that we were going to look at this this asset class. I think it comes down to roughly around about four years worth of research where some of the team had inquiries from some existing clients who wanted to look at this as an asset class. And we just weren't ready. We didn't know enough information, uh, and we were honest with that. But we could see uh, the signs were there that there would be uh, an increased growth within the sphere and increased interest from our clients to, to hold this as an asset class. So with that, with the research came came you know speaking to intermediaries and experts in the field and uh, getting comfortable with how we might hold it in various manifestations, whether that's from you know, directly from uh, natives, those that are within the sphere or those that are pre-existing clients who want to invest a proportion of their assets within many different versions of digital assets. So as part of that journey, we were lucky enough to have an inquiry from uh, an actual native client. So uh, through them, uh, it was a combined collaborative educational piece, which worked really, really well. Uh, And that formed the framework for our policies and procedures in the way that we, we take on clients within this sphere or those clients that are interested in it. It's grown ever since. Um, and, and Chris, you're a disputes lawyer at, uh, in the London office of Dwayne Morris, an international law firm, and you specialise in claims and disputes that are around emerging technology and, and financial crime. What are the risks for trustees? What what can go wrong with this asset class? Tell us some war stories, if you like. I, I think the, the the one that used to come up several years ago was all to do with the volatility of the asset. You know, the fact that by holding this asset, the, the vast price swings create all sorts of challenges and potential trustee liability, depending on what you do with it. You know, do you hang on to that asset? Do you pass it to somebody for trading? how do you actually handle it but i think a lot of those issues can be managed um, if you bring the appropriate third parties in and you have trust deeds and provisions put in place to protect it so there are three main areas where there there can be real risk the first is around reputational harm so if if an asset is being held or you know let's assume that it's it's not a mainstream 
cryptocurrency asset. It's a, it's a niche token that's recently been created by a small developer. If you're associated with that project, does that create any criticism for investing trust funds or, or, or taking a large stake, which might suggest that you support or endorse that project? If that project later turns out to fail or to fall subject to regulatory scrutiny. So I think the, re the reputational side is, is an important one. And that brings me neatly into the regulatory criticism. We're talking about digital assets and different classes of digital assets that fundamentally are, uh, are not always within the regulatory perimeters of the jurisdictions that, that they are ultimately put out into the world from. The perimeters differ between various jurisdictions, the rules on which you can or can't offer these um, particular products into different places will also change um, between jurisdictions. And so therefore, if you end up being associated with a project that does have in, does come with that criticism, is that something that a trustee might need to think about? Do they need additional authority to handle that? For example, if it's a token that looks like a share, does that stray into regulated territory? And therefore, does that create any potential liability on those issues? Um, and then the last point is, is more generally, because of the nature of these issues and some of the claims that we see, crypto assets are often used, but not exclusively, help, thank, thankfully, but often used as a means to transmit fraud money um, and are often, unfortunately, um, misappropriated from clients for a whole range of reasons. And it can, and it can be everything from failures in cybersecurity protocols, for example, two-factor authentication is breached, inadvertently allowing somebody access to your, your, private, your, to your private keys, investing in projects where you use cryptocurrency as the medium for investment, and everything in between. And I suppose by virtue of having this asset, because of the, the, the speed at which it can be transferred and, and the perception that it is difficult to trace, you end up um, in the scenario where there is a risk of of potentially having to commence proceedings to try and recover something back more so than perhaps if you were holding a, a traditional share. Matt, from your perspective, what sort of things can you do as a trustee to avoid those catastrophic events that Chris has identified? But, I mean, as Chris mentioned, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fastly evolving space and there's many, many angles where people are using it very legitimately and those that, that aren't. And I think the way that we look at it is we strip it back down to any sort of asset class in which uh, our clients were looking to be invested into and, and risk score it and give it, give it an overall view of how it sits within a structure. We, we know the volatility is high. We know that there are, yes, there are stable coins. There are household name coins, which a lot of our clients are investing into. And there are also next gen coins which are coming through, which clients are looking to, to make a you know, quick return on. That will continue to happen for for many many years to come, and with that, obviously, does come a, a degree of, of risk therein. The, the way that we see it is open dialogue and open conversation with our clients. It's important for them to understand what they're getting into, and equally, we need to understand the rationale of what they might suggest of getting into a certain asset class. And then it comes down to our own individual research. You know, we don't rest on our laurels just because we're, we're confident that we can take on clients and, and work within the sphere. It, it, it's constant research, it's constantly looking at different changes around regulatory changes, uh, perceptions, views. And I think we can all agree that, uh, you know, we all get our inboxes of, of daily updates within our sector generally. I think it used to be 10% that was coming through crypto. It's probably 50, 60% more and growing. 
you know, it's ever evolving, which is why we always have to keep our, our finger on the pulse of what's what's changing. And for, for all our clients, they need to know that anything that we want to get into or hold, that we will be doing so with the highest degree of um, compliance and review and making sure that they're comfortable with what we're doing as much as what, what they have suggested. Yeah. So, so the unorthodox nature of the asset, I mean, it's an asset, as you say, like any other, just a, you have to risk define it. Um, the way you take it on, doing due diligence, checking its provenance, that sort of thing, the way you hold it, manage it, safeguard it, that's, that's one thing. But it's, it's the volatility, that risk. There have been some. There's been some dramatic fluctuations in the value of Bitcoin, for example. So just to use one obvious example, and that you know that's usually an uncomfortable thing for trustees who have a duty to preserve the the value of the trust fund. I suppose that's where you um, you might have a limit on what proportion of a trust fund might be invested in crypto assets. Yeah, we do. I mean, as you mentioned before, you know, we've got two sets of clients. We've got natives that have been in the sphere and, and are complete experts. Uh, and whilst we may hold an asset class for them, which is a high proportion of in digital assets, they will have wealth either with us or independently outside of the structure that we can review the, as an overarching position and feel comfortable with. With regards to, to punters or muggles, depending on which term you want to use for those that are, are investing purely for ultimate returns, uh, again, looking at it as an asset class, you know, those that are looking to um, diversify and, and align it with something similar to direct holding in gold or a wine collection. You know, if, if we're if we're looking after a hundred million pounds worth of the client's assets, it it would be highly stupid, really, in, in the grand scheme of things, to look at holding fifty percent in, in digital assets. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Particularly within trust structure, where we're looking after. You know, hopefully many generations of beneficiaries the actions of of, of now may not uh, may not echo very well for the for the next gen and even you know the grandkids and what have you um so yes it all comes down to the bigger picture of, of, of how we see it and also to risk uh, to reduce the volatility you know we won't be looking to actively trade within crypto you know every single one of our client is is buying to hold uh so they're well aware that the volatility of, of bitcoin is there uh, there is some market trends that go with it. So I think those that are in the sphere know that when there's a dip, there will always be another rise. Uh, you, you somewhat have to be a market analyst to, to be working within this sphere and you're constantly not swayed by one thing or the other. So uh, that's what that's what we advise with our clients. Yeah. And, you know, there will be times when, you, you know, with, um, as you say, with natives, with more sophisticated investors where, you will have clearly much more than the kind of limit that you might ordinarily put on a, on a portfolio. But there are ways that a fiduciary can then look to protect itself from its exposure in the event that there's a catastrophic loss. And my um, colleagues in our non-contentious trust team no doubt have a number of structural tools and fixes that they can employ at the planning stage so that um, the structure set up in a way that limits the liability of the structure. We have um, reserved power trusts where the investment decisions are made by someone, whether transferred from the trustee to someone else, like the set law. So if an investment decision is turns out to be not in the interest of the beneficiaries, then someone else's fault. We, you can have a purpose trust where the sole express purpose of the trust is to invest in crypto assets. 
assets and then the trustee is actually obliged to invest in crypto assets alone. Um, and so again, can't, can't very well be blamed if something catastrophic happens. And then outside of the trust scenario, if the, if or, or within it, if, if the holding is within a, a corporate vehicle, then we can have these very tight, well, we can try and have tight anti-Bartlett clauses, which means that the trustee's duty to interfere in the management and the, uh, the affairs of the holding company are kind of diluted. So there are a number of those things that we can put in place. But Chris, not necessarily in the context of private wealth structures, what, what else can holders of crypto assets do to avoid the risks you've identified? I think you made some really interesting points about kind of using structuring as a way of protecting the holder and also the fiduciary, which I think is, is important because ultimately, as with any best laid plans, you know, the, the, the extent to which you wrap policies, procedures, systems and controls on everything, the better you're able to protect all of those in that chain, whether it's the ultimate beneficiary, the fiduciary, the holder, you know, whoever it may be. And one of the kind of mantras that you hear a lot of in this space is, is all about doing your own research, making sure that you make decisions in an informed way. You don't believe everything that you read um, on the internet, on Reddit, on forums, because there's, there is a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of interesting information um, out there and making sure that you form any decisions that you need to appropriately. And then once, you, once you've made any decisions that you might want to make, whether it's holding, trading, whatever it might be, thinking very carefully about how you protect yourself in those scenarios. So if you're an individual, for example, you know, do you want to be holding your, your cryptocurrency within an exchange that, um, that is controlled purely by your email? Which means that if your email account is, is somehow accessed unlawfully, they might be able to transfer your cryptocurrency out. Do you want to peg your account using two-factor authentication to your mobile phone? Now, that's a part solution, but we all know that SIM swap fraud, which, which bypasses those kinds of protections, is becoming ever more um, readily used in all sorts of different scams. So a lot, what a lot of people will do is they'll use wallets that are kept on, you know, on USB sticks, on ledgers, that, that essentially mean that you need to actually have that physical stick, which has your private key on it, to control it. Um, and it's, an, it's a way of having other overlay of physical control. You know, you, you can't just transfer someone's mobile phone number to a different SIM card to bypass a two-factor. You actually need the physical device. But then you start to get into all sorts of other, of other questions. You know, how, how do you then store that device? How, what policies and procedures do you have around that? And if you're an individual, you might just stick that in a safe. But what if you're an organization and, and in the event of a death in, in a business and you need somebody to access that cryptocurrency or in the event of a fallout, how, how do you make sure that the right person has access to that device? You know, and I'm sure we can all envisage the scenario where one person has access to or control of the private keys to a cryptocurrency wallet within a business and there's a falling out and a genuine fear that the one person might be able to do whatever they wish with the cryptocurrency, whether that's send it, send it away, whether that's actually you know, burn it, send it to an address that literally can't be accessed again because no one has the private keys or, or any number of things. And this is all ultimately controlled by thinking up front. And that's mm. why a lot of the custody solutions that are out there and doing your research 
approach on on those solutions is really important because they can offer you know different ways of having access, multi signatories, all of all sorts of things like this, and there there are considerably more options I think available to individuals and to uh, and to professional. Uh, organizations that, that might hold cryptocurrency than there were three or four years ago and ultimately circling back to what i said at the start of this part you, there are so many you need to make sure that you research not only the decisions that you're making but the organization that you want to use because they will all do very different things they will all have varying levels in um in cybersecurity credentials they will all offer very different solutions they will all offer different pricing mechanisms so you have so that you have to look at what's right ultimately for you and fundamentally trust your gut when you're dealing with, with these with these types of incidents thanks that's that's helpful and and then lastly then back to the trustee matt what what are some of the big no-nos for you what what red flags do you have that would cause you to refuse to accept a crypto asset within to, within a structure or things that you simply won't or can't do as a trustee i think you mentioned one already you mentioned the trading yeah, trading essentially is, is, is just a red flag for us. It, it, it's a no-go. As, as Chris mentioned, you know, we, we don't really want to be approached by a client who said, here's, here's, a, here's a bag full of my USBs, which have all my hot wallets in there. Uh, I want you to be plugging these in at 2.30 in the morning when the markets are down to be executing a trade for me on my behalf. I don't need to go into any detail about how risky that is. So it's just, it's just a no-go. It just doesn't happen at all. Um, I suppose the other one that we need to uh, be careful of is, uh, over, you know, those that are making overnight success within the industry. Yes, you can do that. But we find that the most of the big winners are those that are doing this over years. You know, they're not necessarily early adopters of Bitcoin and they're in, but they've been doing it for a number of years. And yes, you do see people making millions within a month. That's a lot of work, a lot of trading They could be involved in varying icos that take off or, or don't uh, they could be involved in creating their own nft uh, and then doing what's called a, a rug pull uh, which is essentially taking funds in for the idea of of, of long-term income through through utility of, of the nft but actually walking away from from uh the, the project that is, that is a big red flag most people do get caught from that there's quite a few cases going through at the moment where people are looking to be sued because of that a lot of influences are involved in that which is why it's very risky risky uh, field to get into. So basically anyone that's looking to do be highly active within the sphere is is our advice to, to not go anywhere near them, wait till they settle down, wait until they're looking to hold uh, it, it is the best way to, uh, to to take them on. It's clear that this is a, you know this is an asset class just like any other one, an alternative one maybe, but I think the message from you two is don't don't play with it. Uh, as a trustee, do your research. It's a fast-moving sector, so keep up. Um, ensure that you have full, comprehensive policies and procedures in place. Liaise with the regulator whenever you need to, um, and involve the experts at, at all stages, from lawyers from the um, from the take-on structuring stage, through to due diligence consultants, and then. Um, custodians etc is there any other final words of wisdom from from either of you uh, I, I think you've summarized it really well i think i think ultimately if it sounds good to be true it normally is and, and you know make sure that you properly assess the the nature of the project and, and 
review what you're doing. You know, the, there are aspects of dig the digital asset community that are a bit like the Wild West now. You know, they are um, fast moving and, and lots of people are losing lots of money and lots of people are equally making lots of money. So it's, it's, a ri it's very risky, but, you know, when done in the right way, it can always be, a, you know, it can be an exciting project. Yeah, I was, I was just going to uh, add to that that um, because it's an ever-evolving sphere, you, you you can't just you know play around with this. You really need to invest your own time, your research. Uh, my top tips for any other trustee is just to you know you need to make sure you have a dedicated team to be able to look after these these clients that are, are well educated in in this this sphere. That's what we do. We have a digital asset team, and you're going to have to keep an eye on all the trends. The, terminologies the, the crazy words that come around because there's a lot of internet quirky speak that comes around with this and yes saying it out loud you do say sound a bit silly but to be honest uh you know this is a an asset class which in, in 10 years time we'll all be using in some capacity uh it, maybe not too uh, soon after that you know our, our next generation of clients are, are, will be investing into this so as as prudent trustees we need to keep aware of this keep our eye on this because we're going to be dealing for, with this for our for our clients excellent well thank you both for joining me